Walter, I have an important question for you that I think you're the ideal person to answer. Are you ready? I'm ready. Where in Austin do you think is the best place to get a beer? Best place to get a beer. Uh, and before you answer, yeah. I think we should think, like, are you like one of the craft beer local brewery person? Or are you just more like you know what kind of beers you like and you want like a wide selection? doesn't necessarily have to be crafted and brewed here in Austin. Like where, where do you come down on this? It doesn't have to be crafted. It ha- I, I like dark beers, right? Okay. And it seems like everybody likes IPAs these days, but uh, me, I, I like uh, stouts, porters, you know, that kind of thing. So, I, I mean, I can get beer most places that, that I'm really happy with. Uh, North by Northwest is, is, a, is a great place for beer. Uh, but just about anywhere they have dark beer, I'm happy. One, I, I think it's great because I feel like no one, this is a very unpopular opinion. It's like, I don't think IPAs are good. I don't think they taste good. I and, agree. <laughs> and, you know, everyone's fanatical. And I feel like a lot of times at the bar or when people are getting beers, like, you can't say that out loud. Like, because then people want to educate you about IPAs. And you're like, no, 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 I've had it. I know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely don't like it. So North by Northwest, up here in what, Northwest Austin, mm-hmm. very, it's a very solid choice. A, a brewery, microbrewery. So that's, it's, it's definitely got some seasonal and some good dark ones. I would say downtown, like, I think Ginger Man. That is, like, it's not a microbrewery. Basically, you can get anything you want there. So I think sure, a couple, sure. probably like 100 on tap, maybe more. So, so if I said you got to get a beer downtown, where, where, would, where would we go? Man, that's, that's, an awesome, uh, that's an awesome choice. I haven't been there in, in a while. It's just a, you know, a little bit of a haul from where I live. But uh, that, that's, that's an excellent choice. I mean, just so many choices there. Uh, very good beer. Yeah. All right. So everyone knows where to get. And then, of course, uh, up here, are, have you uh, taken the challenge and, uh, you know, drink what, like a plate down here down the street for like the 100 beers? No, I, I, I do go out there fairly regularly. Uh, but this being BB Rovers, BB Rovers, Northwest yeah. Austin, would, would we just is it is it a dive? Like, what, how would we describe it? Just a brew, a, a beer place? It, it's, a bit of, it's a bit of a dive <laughs> on, on the edge of a dive. Maybe yeah, not a full I mean, dive. It's 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 a great place. A great place to have beer. A lot, lot of choices there, and it changes every week. Uh, so that's 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 a great place to go. But I, I don't have my name on the. All wall. right, I don't either. But I know several. We know several people yes. who've uh, accomplished the challenge probably multiple times at this time. Because I think it's something like it's. I think I'm doing. I don't think I'm doing it justice. I think maybe it's 500. It's like 500 different beers or something. So I think I've had maybe 10 different beers there. So we have work to do. All right. So we know we know where to get beers. Uh, in Austin. But more importantly, I brought you on the show because we've known each other. I was thinking about it, I, I think almost 20 years, maybe a little bit less than that, maybe like 15. Yeah. Okay. It's, been a, it's been a long time. And I think of when I think of you, I was thinking it's like you've done a lot in Agile. And I think, you know, your your career sort of tracks maybe the uh, potentially the introduction of Agile. And I thought you would be ideal to come on and talk a little bit about Agile. But before we get into that conversation, I wanted to tell everyone one, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you very much. But if you're listening to this one, you'll probably like our other podcasts where Michael Cote and Matt Ray and I talk about all things related to enterprise tech, and that's Software Defined Tech. And you can go uh, to Software Defined, t- uh, sorry, <laughs> you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and listen to that uh, and definitely check that out. And of course, if you want a sticker, you can email me at brandon at uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com and I will send you a sticker. And if you really, really are a huge fan, you can go online and buy a T-shirt, which, Walter, I know right after the show, you're going to buy a fine-looking – you can even attest it. You can see it. I'm, what do you I'm think? eyeing the T-shirt, yeah. You, it's, you think it's, it's a nice, it's a nice it, shirt. It's pretty solid. So uh, check all of those things out. But um, So you know, one of the things we talk about all the time on Software Defined Talk 
is DevOps, right? And of course, that's all about running applications. But mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, Walter, what we could do is like step back and think about how do you build these applications, but not like so much on the technology side, but what's the right methodology and process. And mm-hmm. of course, everybody today is doing some form of agile development, which I think is probably a running joke uh, for all of us. But I think if we can go back in time, maybe, you know, earlier part of your uh, career, where I think we both, I, think, I can't even remember if we originally met at Object Space or we worked afterwards Evity, but that's, we'll leave that, we'll, we'll have to... Uh, I, was, I was trying no, to figure that out myself. No, no one, none of us can remember, so we'll just assume it happened, but, but I know we both, you know, worked at Object Space. Mm-hmm. And so take me back, like, what was the focus of Object Space uh, when we were there, and what would you say was the popular development methodology when we were there? And this is probably like 1998, around that, that time period. Yeah, so I mean, object space was all about object-oriented technology, right? So in the 90s, you know, it, 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 not everybody was even using that at that point, right? And so it was sort of founded around you know, rolling that out, helping companies get up to speed with object-oriented technology and development, uh, training, consulting to help with that. Uh, as far as a methodology, um, I, I would say most of the projects were waterfall, mm-hmm. right? I, I, Do you think I, like I, I did the, not learn agile at Object Space. Yeah, no, definitely. But I, I, th- I feel like what we talked about at Object Space was one a lot of UML. Like mm-hmm. UML was like super popular. Is that sure. even does anyone do UML anymore? I don't think I ever see it or talk about it. Uh, the only time I, I, I do it is in interviews. <laughs> or, or see it as That's interviews. awesome. Yeah. So you're interviewing them on UML. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's a communication mechanism, right? So that they can communicate their design. Okay. Um, most of the time when you're actually doing the development. Do the millennials know UML? Like if you interview a millennial right now, would they even know what you're talking about? I mean, sometimes you, you have to give some clues, right? You know, draw a box, you know, draw lines, you know, whatever. <laughs> but most people are, are, are familiar enough with okay. it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but I think I go back, but I, I do, I think there was a lot of, of really doing work, but I feel like we were talking about iterative development then. Is that... Is my memory wrong, or do you think that was part of the, the process there? I mean, I think at that point, it was just starting to get into it. And, uh-huh. and really, I, I, the first Agile project that I was on was, was at Evity. Uh, and, and Rob Neville, uh, who was one of the co-founders of, of Evity, was the one that really introduced me to Agile. Um, so now he might have used uh, Agile techniques on some of his object space uh, projects because he came from object space as well. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't recall being exposed to them. There. I, I remember in the uh, in the engineering group at Object Space. Uh, so I was a director of engineering there uh, towards the end, and we managed our projects and Microsoft project, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, and I remember like we had, but I think the the thing I remember is that like, we did have like specific phases, which is very waterfall. But I think mm-hmm. it was like analysis, design, was it implementation. I can't remember what the third was, but there was. Um, I think within those there was sort of some some like idea of like looping around like you would do some analysis do some design implement something and then you know i guess it was like a phase and the next yeah. phase you would repeat the process yeah. um at least that's what i remember i mean the, the closest we might have gotten was was like getting to short releases right and so instead of having these these massive releases trying to make them shorter so that we're, we're starting to get you know closer to uh you know, an iterative approach but we're still bigger than they right. should have been Okay, so we're at Object Space. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, Rob Neville, which you mentioned, uh, and Clay Davis mm-hmm. and Chris Merrick, they, uh, they started Evity, yeah. which was 
was such a great time. Now, now I think we're like in 99, 2000, or 2000, yeah, yeah. 2001. 90, uh, July of 99 is when I started. Yeah. Okay, so this was like pre, uh, this was really the height of the dot-com bubble. Like we were right in the middle of it in retrospect. Yes, it was, um, it was, it was excellent timing. <laughs> it was a great time. Uh, so uh, they went out and they started a web monitoring company, which, you know, you, you I don't know, what employee were you, first employee? I was the first non-founder, yeah. Okay, so you were the first employee. And, um, and then a bunch of us came on later. So when you got there, and, and this kind of, we said, the first exposure to Agile, was, was Rob already kind of setting up the group to, like, build an Agile? Or, or is that something that you brought? Like, t- take me through the story of, like, how you actually implemented it. Well, the way I recall, and I mean, it was, it was a while ago now, right? But the way I recall is, is Rob was the one that, that came up with the, how we were going to approach it from a methodology point of view. Um, and everything, you know, so that, that being my first exposure to Agile, really, everything just made perfect sense to me. It was, it's not like I, I, I gave any pushback whatsoever. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? And, uh, and, we, and we did it. We did two-week iterations, you know, so it was, it was a scrum uh, approach. So we did two-week iterations. We, uh, we did planning. We released a production at the end. Uh, it, was, it, was, it went really, really well. Um, we, we had daily stand-ups. Uh, I, I think that the problem with the startup, right, is there's so many different directions that you can go, right? There's so many different sort of uh, shiny things that you can go after. And it, it really made us think about those and, and prioritize and attack the most important stuff and, and constantly reevaluate that every, every two weeks. And I think that was... So I think there are two reasons for our success. One was timing was excellent, like you said. And, and the second was, you know, the Agile, I think, really helped keep us focused. And, you know, within four months, we had a beta product. Within six months, we had a GA product. Within nine months, we sold the company. Yeah. So, you know, when you got exposed to it, like you said, you said it was very natural. So was it, did, like, Rob, like, bring you in or, and, or was it part of the interview process? Or did you, is it just like, hey, this is the way we're going to do it? And you're just like, was it like a five-minute conversation? And you're just like, okay, sounds good. Well, so, I mean, it, w- it wasn't part of the interview process. I mean, at, at that point, yeah, th- there wasn't much of an interview process because I, I, I knew all three of them. Right. Um, you guys you know, worked together. Well, right. right? And so mm-hmm. we, it, the interview process was more just talking about, you know, sort of personal goals and, and what each of us was looking for and that, that sort of thing, making sure it was a good fit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but once, once I joined, you know, we, we, we got together and we, we talked about what we wanted our process to be, and, and Scrum was the foundation of that. Okay. And so what did um, – were there any like books at the time that you read or like what was other than just like, Hey, we're going to do scrum and we're going to have some backlog. Like, you like, know, what, it's, it's funny. How did I, you do I it? didn't, I didn't, we didn't, we didn't call it scrum. Uh, we didn't, um, we didn't ever talk about it, uh, give it a name or anything. We, we just talked about what the process was going to be. Uh-huh. Um, and so, no, I didn't, I didn't read so we weren't, books. So we weren't even calling it Agile, were we? No, it, wasn't, no. it was just like, we're going to do, yeah, we're going to release this some, uh, it, it's only like later that I, you know, I, I really thought, well, we were really doing Scrum, right? I, I, at the time, I wouldn't have said that we were doing Scrum. Mm-hmm. I, I just, this is our process. Yeah, because I think those terms, all those terms came, I feel like they, maybe they were around then, but I feel like we started using them much later, like a couple well, years later. Scrum, Scrum, the term existed at that time. Um, I, I just didn't know that's what we were using, right? Or Rob probably did. Uh, but Agile didn't, didn't exist until uh, 2001. That's when they came together and decided to call this whole thing Agile. Okay. That's right. All right. So then, you know, I guess we should, we should tell the quick story of Evity. Like, so I think, uh, I don't, I don't even, it's something like, so I think the whole length of the company was like, how long was it actually incorporated? A year, two years? Would you say? From, from the time that we got funding, which is when I started, uh-huh. to the time that we, we got acquired was nine months. Okay. So like, I don't know, somehow in the middle of there, I, I think I came on maybe six months into it. So with like three months to go, um, friend of the show, Chip, lots of guys we know. I guess Lunt and a bunch of us joined 
I guess just during that process, there's probably some, and then um, it was sold incredibly for a hundred million dollars uh, in nine months to BMC Software. And then we all, and then I think as I remember, like the acquisition happened and uh, then the dot-com crash happened, I think it was like six weeks later, something like that. It was a very yeah. short period of time. So I think if- so, so a large part of our acquisition was, was stock. We got BMC stock. Yep. And the, uh, the BMC stock uh, cut in half yeah. a, a month or two later, yeah. Yeah, so, but I think ultimately, incredible experience for I think all, I think everybody that was at Avity would say this, an incredible experience to, to ride that roller coaster. And then we find ourselves at BMC Software. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is where I think, as I remember, like we really started to embrace, formally embrace agile, right? Like the do some training. So I think we should kind of set the stage of like, you know, we're this small group of, I guess in retrospect, relatively young people c- coming in, you know, with, with probably a lot of confidence. Other people would probably characterize that a little different and trying to keep, you know, building this product. So uh, we come with that methodology and clearly at that time, you know, BMC is, was not doing that. They were doing a much longer waterfall approach. So maybe like, you, know, you tell me, like, what was your experience when we got to BMC? Like, what were you thinking? And then how did that affect the methodology going forward? So BMC is an interesting company, right? So uh, over their history, they've acquired a lot of other companies. And what they tend to do is after they make an acquisition, that new company tends to be king for you know, maybe a year or so, right? Where they, they look to that company for advice and, and guidance and they, they start shifting things in that direction. And then, you know, about a year later, another acquisition happens, and, and then that becomes the new king, right? And so uh, we had a, a period of time which they were really interested in our methodology and our approach, you know, et cetera, and, uh, and we, we had some sway. But then after that, I would say it actually went the opposite way. Right. Right, and we, um, we actually went back more to waterfall for a while. Mm-hmm. And then a, a little bit later, we, we sort of rediscovered Agile and went all in, and, and that's when it started to roll out to a, the larger scale BMC. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, in retrospect, why do you think, because um, I think you're exactly right, that's how I you know, tend to remember as well. Like, why do you think the, it was sort of rejected on like, almost like first, uh, you know, first exposure of BMC, I think for the most part it was rejected. Like, when you go back and you think about that, why do you think that happened? And do you remember any specific meetings or things that were going on that really kind of, you know, showed the pushback? So one of the things that I've noticed through, uh, through all the consulting that I've done, all the companies that I've worked with uh, in Agile, is that it is incredibly important that key people in that organization support Agile, right? Um, and what can happen is a company or an organization can be very good at Agile and, and a key person leaves you know, generally that's somebody, maybe a director of engineering sort of role or somewhere along those, those lines. And if that person leaves and somebody else comes in that, that's non-agile or is not big into agile or is, is even like more waterfally, and it can totally change. You know, like really quickly, a company can, you know, like all that good work that they've built up can just go away, you know, very, very quickly with, with those key people, right? And so with BMC, when we got acquired, we worked for Mary Nugent, right? Mary Nugent's awesome. Uh, and she was very supportive of us and, and, you know, supportive of our process. And then, you know, over time, as we moved to different, you know, people that we reported into, uh, you know, those perspectives changed. And so, you know, I, I won't name names, but one, one VP in particular that we got moved into after, after we left Mary, uh, he, he was big into, into process, but he was big into waterfall. Right. So I think what you're hitting on, and I agree, is, is that, and this, I think, sometimes is a little bit overlooked, right? Is that 
agile, I think by definition, is like, you know, you know uh, people over process, it's like collaborative, and, and you know, all of that is like part of it. But to, to really get it started, you, you really do need like a strong leader, which is sort of almost the antithesis of agile, right? It's like, it's very hard for like a group to self-organize and be like, this is the way we're doing it in a traditional corporation, right? If, especially if this corporation wants to like, and, and I think this applies anywhere, not just to BNC. If, um, if you don't sort of have the advocate at the executive level, whatever that means for your organization, then, uh, you know, it's going to be very, very hard. So I think that's somebody, somebody, you know, today, while I think Agile, and we'll kind of talk about as we kind of walk through and talk more about, you know, where we are today, I think this is probably the number one thing. It's like, not only does someone say they know what agile is, but it's like, it is kind of the thing. Like, are you the believer? Like, do they, have they had, and I think what this comes down to, have they had some personal success following agile before? Because that's, what's going to make them like a strong advocate versus somebody who's just been, been anywhere and done it some other way. And is maybe just giving lip service to the methodology. So it, 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 the personal success certainly helps, and and that can make it. Uh, they can that can sort of change it from somebody that's supporting it to somebody that's helped to drive it, right? Um, but just just having somebody supportive, if, if if the individuals and the teams are willing to drive it, that that works too, right? Mm -hmm. So somebody that's open to empowering the teams and letting them figure out what works and 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 getting their you know their process to something that works well for them, you know that that that's that's cool too. Even if they have no agile experience, right. and I would say that's what Mary was right. She right. didn't have any agile experience, but she was she was open to empowering us to do what we needed to do to get the job done the best way we could. Yeah, I think you're right. It'd be interesting to talk to Mary, like what what her state of mind was, because I think you know having as I was saying that it's like having personal success with it, it makes you an advocate. But the opposite can also be true, like having some failures and some frustration of like doing something a different way is, you know, that's, you know, like anything in life, that's what drives change. Like, okay, well, we've tried it this other way, whether that be waterfall or something else, and it hasn't worked. And we're looking for something new. And we've heard some good things about this and the team wants to do it. And, you know, that's what gets people on board as well, I guess, you know, and I think, you know, the other person, um, you know, who's, I would name names if I could remember them all, but I'm, so, so I'm not sure I won't. But uh, the, uh, as I remember, I think, I would say they had had some personal success, you know, following a very traditional waterfall approach. And I think, you know, it's only human nature, right, to to kind of get attached to the way you did stuff, even if it's right. So I think that's maybe, to be fair about it, that's where they were coming from. Sure, sure. This this has worked for me in the past. Why are we even talking about this? Why are we changing this? We, we don't need, I mean, we've got something that works. Yeah, so yeah, it's not broken. So, okay. All right, so we're at BMC, and then, um, so there's sort of like, a group that came in. But then at one point, right, we actually, uh, as I remember, really embraced Agile from a corporate perspective in the sense of it became like a corporate edict because I think we found an advocate to do it. And we actually brought in, I, I remember it being Rally Software and the mm -hmm. consultants. Is that, take me through that. Take me through the story so the, of that. The, the, the key point, I think, in rediscovering Agile, if you will, was when BMC hired Israel Gott. Um, so Israel was a big uh, Agile advocate. Um, he's the one that, that got the funding to bring in Rally. Um, so, so Rally, so although a lot of us had come from Evity and, uh, and you know, knew about Agile and, and knew about, you know, what we needed to do, you know, we had grown quite a bit. You know, a lot of people had been hired since then. We'd been merged with other groups, you know, et cetera. And so uh, we brought them in to, to basically get everybody on the same page, make sure that we have a base level of understanding. Uh, we put everybody through training, and then we just got started, you know. just. What do you think of the training looking back on it? Like, because I, I remember what I was thinking about it then, and then I, I, I look back on it. Like, what was your take on doing it? Uh, 
I mean, I, I remember the trainings being fine. They, they, uh, you know, I really liked the trainers. Uh -huh. uh, I still, uh, you know, talk with them occasionally today, you know, even you know, 15 years later. Um, yeah. So I, I remember I go back in time, like one, I can't remember his name now, but I just remember being very tall, very executive looking, but he was the guy that really came down and pitch rally multiple times. Yes. And, uh, and he had, um, he just had his pit, like he had pitched it clearly, like probably 8 million times, but like he really had his message down. I just thought he was like a super evangelist, not only for agile, but for his company. He just, um, and he wasn't, you know, I, I can't remember his title, I think VP of product or mm -hmm. some, something like that, but he was by far in the way, the best salesman as far as I was concerned. So I remember him coming down and then I remember being in the training, you know, back at, um, right here in Austin, in fact, just down the street. And I remember just being like this because you do like exercises, right? It was mm -hmm. like, you, I can't remember, probably was like a, uh, some type of point of sale thing or something like that. And I just remember being like, we've done this a million times. Um, and I just, you know, kind of remember it, it being fine, but boring, right? It was just sort of like doing the exercises. And so, but now I look back on it and, and I do, and this is sort of, you know, is there ever a time for training? It's like when, cause I think we had like probably a hundred people went through some version of all the different classes. And it was, I do look back on it now. It's like, yeah, if you're trying to get everyone on the same page, like forcing them through the same training program, there's definitely some value at it. Um, at the time, I think I would have like undervalued it. But now I think looking back on it, like, yeah, you, you kind of need to do this. And it's also, I guess, to some degree, maybe team building's a little too strong mm -hmm. to say it, but it did give everybody the same um, way to think about it. At least, I don't know. Is that what you think? What do you think? Well, I, th I think so. I mean, typically when I start working with a new group, that's one of the first things that we do is we, we put some training into place, right? And, and it just gets everybody on the same page as far as what we're talking about. Uh, it's a great opportunity for, for discussions as well, right? So in, in the training, we can bring up, you know, issues that, that they have with it or, or problems that they think that we're going to encounter, mm -hmm. you know, rolling it out to with, within their group. Um, so I, I think it's a great level set and it can be you know, if, if, if done well, you know, I mean, they, they can get a lot out of it as right. well. Even if it's a mixed group where, you know, some people are very familiar with Agile and some aren't. Right. And I think, you know, I guess all group, all corporate training in some ways is like a version of therapy. Like if you can get it, uh, especially when there's like multiple groups mm -hmm. in there. And it's like, it's just like, it kind of allows everyone, it gives everyone a forum to kind of like voice concerns either <laughs> about Agile or about their corporate culture or anything. Right. So there's probably something to, to be said for that. So, all right. So we're at BMC. We re-implement Agile. How'd it go? Like when you think back on it in now, in retrospect, was it a success, failure? Like what do you think happened there? I would, I would call it a success. I, I think it went well. And, and we learned some, some new things about it as well, right? So before when we were Evity, we were a small little group. And, uh, you know, it was just one group, right? And through the, the round two, if you will, you know, we, we started to learn how to scale this up a bit, right? Because, like I said, it was, it was 100 engineers, you know, first, and then that, that grew from there, right? Uh, so trying to figure out how to make this thing scale, trying to figure out how to make it go global, right? I mean, Evity was a local group. BMC is global, you know, so we had people in lots of different time zones. Uh, so trying to figure all that out. So I, I, I think we learned a lot, and I, I, think it, I think it overall went well. I will say that, you know, sort of like a ripple effect, you know, you throw... Uh, you know, stone across a pond, the first ripple's sort of the biggest, then it goes, you know, smaller as it goes further away. It's the same sort of thing here where I, I think we were sort of at the center and I think it went really well for us. The further you got away from that center, the more likely it was to, you know, sort of have noise and get... Get diluted a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I think that's true. So, okay, so we're there, BMC, and then for lots of reasons, probably won't go into it now, many people, that group sort of disbanded. Mm -hmm. And then you really kind of took the plunge, um, 
I think into the world of consulting. So, I, you know, tell me about like what was your thought process of like why'd you do that, and then what kind of consulting, you know, have you been doing since then? Sure. So that was uh, that was about two thousand eight, and so BMC had gotten itself into a pattern where on a regular basis, uh, three months, six months, you know, there'd, there'd be a round of layoffs, right? Um, and so basically, it was starting to focus on the bottom line. So we, we had. A, uh, we had made these acquisitions over time, and now we were trying to, to milk them, try to try to just maximize you know profit. And so they, they were they were cutting headcount, and you know I, at the time I was uh, the director of the product line and, uh, that I was working on, and it was uh, I, I just got tired of that that, mm-hmm. that whole process, right? And I I, I figured I'd, I'd learned what I was going to learn uh, from that environment as far as scaling, you know, agile and, and rolling it out to new teams and, and all that sort of stuff. And so I, I decided it was time to move on. And uh, so in 2008, I formed uh, my company called Planigle, um, sort of a play on Plan Agile, P-L-A-N-I-G-L-E. Uh, and Planigle uh, sort of had three things, right? And I, I sort of uh, was thinking back to my object space days to a degree, right? Object space had three things, right? They had uh, consulting, they had training, and they had products, mm-hmm. right? Uh, from Planigle's point of view, the, the product was I, I created an agile project management tool. Um, my, my my thinking there was that uh, you know Rally you know was 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 great, but it was very complicated, right? And you really didn't need all that stuff. And so I wanted something that was sort of the essence of what you needed, and that's what that's what I wrote. And I, I, that's still available today. Uh, but most of my focus was on the consulting and training. And at first, it was primarily on consulting. More recently, it's probably been more on the uh, on the on the agile side, it's it's been more in training. But. Okay, so you get into it and you you basically hang out your own shingle and, and start doing it. So first of all, like how did you find clients? Like you know how did you actually go out and like find some people to sign up for training and stuff? I sort of had a two pronged defo- approach, right? One, one was uh, just referrals, right? And so one of the great things about BMC, there were a lot of great people there, uh, you know, and, and I got a lot of business from 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 them over time. Just people I knew mm-hmm. uh, were willing to refer me. Uh, the other was I, I became very active in, in Agile Austin. Agile Austin was just sort of forming at that time, you know, so it was, it was sort of perfect timing, and that was a way for me to talk with a lot of people that are interested in Agile, right, and make connections within the Agile community within Austin, and uh, and so I got some referrals out of that as well. And so those those were probably, you know, and then from there it's it's more referrals as you know previous clients. So. Okay, so what is the typical? Maybe go back a few years, mm-hmm. and, you know, and say like, what was the typical client like coming to you? Like, kind of like, what was their problem? What were they trying to do? Say in twenty ten or twenty eleven, mm-hmm. and then has that changed at all? Uh, as you know, here we are, like what twenty eighteen. I don't know if it has really changed all that much. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, it, it's it's an interesting mix of clients, which uh-huh. is which is nice. So I, I have some, you know big enterprises and I have some, you know, more startup, uh, sort of things, uh, sort of companies. And so, you know, that's, that's been interesting, but usually it's people that had some exposure to agile. Maybe they had tried it uh, within their organization, but they just weren't getting what they wanted to out of it. You know, others are getting huge success and they're like struggling. Right. And so they wanted somebody to come in and, and help them figure out what were they doing wrong and how, how do they make it so they they're successful as well. Okay. So when you take on, let's say like a Kind of like a, a reclamation project, like they maybe tried it before, mm-hmm. didn't work, and they're trying to to do it again. So you mentioned before that you you would do some training, but like, do you go in and like you know like a classic consultant right comes in and like interviews everybody, like kind of the 
we make fun of management consultants. It's like mm-hmm. they just come in and interview everyone and then just write it down and then give it back, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. well, that was that was like, and then everyone gets mad. They're like, we already knew all that. But so let's contrast that for like when you approach something like this, like how do you do it? Like, do you go in and do some interviews and then come up with a plan or do something else? Well, so I mean, I I mean, I have done some management consulting where I've, I've come in and, and done assessments, you know, that sort of oh thing. Oh my gosh, what's the, Did you just do what I said? Did you just write a long report of everyone, what everyone said, or did you do something different? I mean, that's mostly what it is, right? <laughs> and that's management consulting to a degree, right? Now you add your own insights into it, right? Right. And you you give uh, ideas on you know that's that's good or bad, and this is why, and these are the consequences. Right. Of doing you're kind of the neutral way. arbiter, right? Sure, you're you're exactly. unemotional about it. Right. And so I, I have done some engagements like that, okay. But, but more often than not, on, on the agile uh, consulting and, and training, it's uh, you know first come in, do the training, get that sort of baseline of knowledge, make sure that everybody's using the same terms, they're, they're you know taking the same sort of general approach to process, right? And then, uh, you know, it might be consulting with the individual teams, participating in, in their agile meetings, helping them, you know, figure out how to make those go smoothly. Um, so that might be, you know, like their planning meetings really you know, takes a whole day. It's really everybody's very willing to pull their hair out by the end of it, you know, trying to make that better. Their stand-up takes, you know, an hour, you know, I, I don't know, something crazy like that. You know, how do they get that down? You know, so it's, it's sort of refining the process and figuring out how to make it work. And on the back end, uh, the retrospective, trying to fi- help them figure out how to assess what's not working for them and how to figure out how to improve that, right? So get into that virtuous cycle, if you will. Um, it can also, uh, it, it also typically involves, you know, more on, the, on like the product management side as far as trying to create that backlog, right? So what does a good backlog look like? What should they be focusing on? How big should things be? Um, the, the, those kind of things. So doing the right thing, uh, or building the right thing, uh, building it in the right way, and then Mm-hmm. No, improving. I think one of the the things that Agile, you know, doesn't even really make a claim to fix, or if they do, I think they make it. It makes it in a very broad way is to say, okay, and I see this all the time is is that okay, you know, we're going to do Agile, but the the question that I think everyone should start with before they start Agile is like, do we have product market fit? Like, is the thing we're about to build do we do we know why we're building it? Uh, who wants to use it and who wants to buy it, right? Like, it, this seems like the most obvious thing, but I, I find oftentimes, right, that these fundamental questions are, you know, maybe not answered. At least if they're answered, they're answered in a very terse way, right? And so then people go off and start doing Agile, right? And um, I think Agile sort of doesn't w- waves its hands, but it, it will say something like, uh, we'll just go ask the product owner, right? Which is like kind of this huge assumption in my mind that there is a person, right, that can sort of like divine all of these answers, that can truly know all of these answers. And it's, sometimes it's a product manager, sometimes it's an executive, sometimes it's you know, a real customer, right? And I think this is where Agile does come you know, from the consulting background. There was like, if we were just doing, like if I was doing a project just for you, building you personal software, like you are the product owner, I can ultimately ask you. But when you're representing a whole market, it can be very difficult. So I'm just wondering in your experience, like, and I think you know, being an outsider, sometimes you can see right away, you're like, <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I can I can help these guys put Agile in, but I'm pretty sure the thing they're building is totally uh, useless. Like they do not have a chance. Like, have you encountered that in your consulting career? And and if so, like, what do you do at that point? That's an excellent uh, excellent question. So, I, I would agree that probably, you know, that, that that's one of the most significant things that companies or, or groups struggle with, 
right, is, is building the right thing, trying to figure out what it is that they should be building, right? Where is it that they can get the most bang for the buck? How, how can they actually make sure that they're building something that people are going to use and is going to make money for the company, you know, et cetera? I, I mean, I think that's one of the, the most fundamental issues that, that groups have, and it's, it's very, very common. I think Agile gives you some tools to help with that, but um, it doesn't, it doesn't, certainly doesn't completely solve the problem, right? You, you have to have good uh, product management uh, ability, uh, you know, so uh, assessing the market, assessing the customers, figuring out what they're going to pay for prior, you know, some, some of that prioritization, et cetera. So, I mean, Agile can help in that it, it forces you to make priority decisions, right? It doesn't get, let you get away with, you know, all these things are musts, right? You got to say which is the most important must, right? right. Um, so, so it helps in that regard. It also helps by encouraging you to do things in small chunks so that you can get feedback on them and figure out if you're going in the right direction much earlier and so that you can, you can trim that and, and, and make a pivot if you need to. And so I, I think it can help, but without sound product management, you know, can only do so much. Right. So it's like, it's like, you know, the output is only as good as the input, right? It yeah. kind of comes like that. So what I think has happened over the last five years, and I'd love to hear your opinion, is that, you know, Agile really ultimately, I think, helped solve the software developer problem, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, you wrote this long set of requirements, and you kept changing your mind, and we were always late. So you know what we're going to do? Every two weeks, we're going to build something, and we'll show it to you, and then, you know, you can you can make adjustments. And I think that, like, helped the software developer world more than anyone. It's like, okay, we got it under control. But then two things I think happened out of that was like, well, like what should we build? Right. And to your point, it's just where agile doesn't really offer a thing. And I think in this world, design thinking, like the methodology of design thinking and the Stanford work that has sort of um, come up is like the front end process. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have like, I think of this as like the front end before you do agile, um, especially at IBM and where I'm at, but a lot of other places, you'll see a lot of people doing design thinking before. And then afterwards, and we'll talk about both of these in a little bit uh, longer detail, Is and then, you know, post-development, right? Um, you know, there's this, used to be the group operations, mm-hmm. and they were just, you know, people would just throw them stuff and, you know, wouldn't work. And, and, and they really were like, hey, this isn't working for us, this Agile stuff. So, th- so they've kind of come up in, in DevOps, right, was sort of born out of that. So, like, mm-hmm. I kind of think of, like, Agile being the middle and then in the last five years, it's not so much Agile has changed. It's that these other things have, like, grown around it, right? And mm-hmm. I, I thought maybe we'll, we'll maybe walk through the whole cycle and just say, like, have you, you know, personally, have you been doing design thinking? Have you read up on it or seen people use it? Or is that, like, making its way into customers that are interested in Agile? Are they doing some, something around design thinking to, like, maybe figure out what their product should be before they want to start building it? That, that hasn't made its way up into my world yet, Okay, really, uh, design thinking. Um, and, and looking at those two bookends, I would say as an industry that we've done a much better job at this point on, on the backside, on the DevOps. I think that's made tremendous improvements over the past few years. And, and on the front side, I, I think we still have some fundamental problems that maybe design thinking will, will help with as, as it becomes more, more popular. Um, but I, I think there's still a big problem there that we haven't really made significant improvement in my opinion in the past few years yeah no i think it's good so let's let's talk about devops and so like when you're you know doing the agile consulting and talking about that like are you also kind of like weaving devops into that or is that like a separate initiative are people kind of you know doing that on their own like like how is that you know playing itself in kind of the the world that you live in day to day so it depends on the the kind of engagement that i'm doing right if it's if it's an agile engagement 
it doesn't tend to come up all that often, right? That's, that's more of an implementation detail. Um, I mean, it can, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't tend to be a major focus. Mm -hmm. um, if, it's, if it's an engagement where I'm, I'm actually involved in the implementation as well, then, then yeah, certainly that's a, that's a, that's a focus. How, how are we going to get this thing to market? Um, okay. And so when, um, like, how did, does it change at all? Like at the end of a sprint, like, are, do you have like DevOps engineers sitting there? Like, are people actually trying to push stuff to production? Um, is that, does that fundamentally change any of it or does it just become another set of stories for like a SRE or some DevOps engineer to like take, you know, during, during the sprint? So where I, I've most applied it has been in, in more, you know, startup sort of environments. Right. And, and so in those environments, uh, you know, it's, it's really bringing the ops guys into, into the team. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so it's, it's the work that needs to be done there to put that infrastructure into place and to improve it over time, make it better. Th those are stories just, just like anything else. Right. And we, we prioritize that. Mm -hmm. And do you find like, I'm sure in the startups, it's just like one team. Right. And then, um, I, cause I've seen it both ways. I've seen, uh, you know, on a startup, like I said, they'll just, everyone will be on kind of one sprint, everyone working on kind of the same backlog. And then I've seen um, where you kind of have development as doing one thing, and then you'll have a separate team doing some some version of Agile. But for some reason, the operation guys, was it Kanban, right? They like, I don't know. I just feel like that group always wants like a Kanban board, right? Because they feel like, I think the thinking is like their, their world is even more dynamic, right? And they want to be able to move stuff around. Yeah. But that's like... I don't know. I don't. I, so I don't. Know, what's your take? Like, is it that just a stylistic thing, or is there like really some fundamental difference here that I'm missing? Well, so it depends on what that group is is doing, right? So in general, Scrum versus Kanban. My, my thinking on it is, if you know what you're going to be doing next week, right? If you're if more product focused and, and you could plan ahead, then I, I would generally recommend starting with Scrum. Um, and you could potentially use a Kanban board with with Scrum as, as well, but I'd probably start with Scrum if, if you don't know what you're going to be working on next week, right? So you're more like you're an operations team where you're, you're fighting fires, you know, et cetera. And I can't tell you what I'm going to be doing next week. Then Scrum might not be as good of a fit for you and Kanban probably is, right? So things are just coming in and we're tracking them, go through the process, you know, et cetera. Uh, and so that's how I think about it. And so if, if it's an operations team that's, that's fighting fires, then yeah, Kanban might be a, a really good fit for them. And that might be why it's such a natural Right, why where they, they, where they, they go. end up going there. Okay. So what about tools? Like, you know, obviously there's Planigle. Everyone oh, should go. Yeah. Everyone should go check yeah. that out. But, like, when you go in and, you know, you know, again, it's, as, as I think, foundational, at least in DevOps, right, people over process, right, not get too obsessed with the tool chain. But what are, like, when you go out and talk to a startup, maybe take a startup and take a mature company. Like, what are the tools they tend to use the most? And, like, which ones do you think work the best? So from an agile project management point of view, um, that is one thing that's changed over the past few years. I would say rally used to be very commonplace, uh, you know, a few years ago. I would say now it's it's all it's almost all Jira. Mm -hmm. uh, Jira seems By, uh, to have, what Alassian, right? Yeah, okay. Alassian. Yeah, they they seem to have won uh, at least in this area. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, and I think rally rally was purchased by CA. They were they were purchased so, by CA, and so okay. that that might have had uh, an effect. I I, I think uh, I think some of it is is it's just so much cheaper. Yeah. Right. And it's it's a very cheap solution, particularly for small teams. Um, 
right? Because I think Atlassian, right? They still use for the most. I mean, at least they tell the story of it's. It's a kind of a viral, mm-hmm. self serve, try and buy. Right, um, right. Not spending a lot of enterprise sales. I think obviously, both Rally and CA are enterprise. As I as I know, I guess they employ an enterprise model, so I'm sure that's dictating some of that as well. And and, and it's very customizable. You can do all all sorts of stuff with it. It, mm-hmm. it, it can be a little difficult to use sometimes because okay. of that. What about GitHub? Because GitHub has right, don't they have like a, a backlog and a planning board? Am I right on that or no? I have not run into it. It's been used by people. No. All, right. all right, so it's Alassian for your agile stuff. Anything else? Any other tools? That's that's the that's one it? that I it's almost universal at this point that I run into. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if I'm if I'm I mean, maybe if you're a Microsoft shop, maybe you're still you know. <laughs> There's always the, Microsoft to me is like an alternate universe to a degree, right? It's uh, they have their parallels and right. It, it's I mean it's fascinating. But yeah. All right. Well, that's kind of a natural segue into like you know um, one of the things you know that I guess as part of you know DevOps and then as part of Agile in general, right? Is like you know it's kind of the whole software architecture over this kind of your career and you know. I guess, this time period has really kind of changed, right? You know, microservices mm-hmm. today are, you know, at least all the all the rage being talked about. Like, I think maybe we can debate, like, you know, who's doing what. But let's start there. Like, when you're talking to these companies today, are people doing a lot of projects where they're taking, like, the classic monolith and, you know, trying to use Agile and, like, decompose it into some set of microservices and maybe moving to Kubernetes or containers? Like, are you seeing a lot of people doing that? Or are people just doing the more traditional three-tier applications? Uh, the exposure that I've had on that, it's, it just sort of depends on where they are, right? If, if they've had a, something that's been around for a while, mm-hmm. then it's, it's probably monolithic, and maybe they're trying to, to move in, into more of a microservices approach or at least breaking those into smaller chunks. Um, probably not full microservices yet, maybe. I, I don't know. Or, or if, if it's a newer thing, then it might be based on a microservices uh, architecture. Okay. So let's say you and I were starting a company today, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and you'll do what everyone else does. Like we haven't really figured out what, like if people are going to buy it, but we're sure. convinced we're going to build something, right? Uh-huh. What, um, and it's going to be, you know, some type of like mobile application, you know, app of the day. And we're going to, you know, it was some kind of, you know, some business, let's say business uh, logic, right? Mm-hmm. What, and I know you, you did some of this kind of like, as, as I think you've been like a VP of engineering or virtual VP of engineering and, mm-hmm. and really kind of gotten your, into the, the details of several startups, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were doing that today, how would you uh, steer someone? Would you, would you steer them like, hey, let's, let's build from the ground up using microservices? Um, is that kind of like potentially overkill for most, most teams? Maybe they should do it a simpler way. Like, you know, how, how do you walk through and think about that? probably start with that I, I probably start with would. microservices I probably would yeah uh-huh. um, you know we, we'd have a discussion about what we think those those would be you know so we we'd have to you know first of all focus a, a little bit on that, that that front end that front book booking that we were talking about earlier what, what are we going to build and what, right. what, what do we see this thing growing into etc right and then start to talk about how we might partition that into you know various you know smaller you know, microservices mm-hmm. components um but yeah, I mean, I think that would be a great. Dis- yeah. it's, it's a great discussion to have up front, right? Because it's it, once you've sort of um, got a, a vision there, it's it's easier than to to go one path and, and then try to right. Well, I think it. you know when I'm just talking to people and different things, like you know, at, at the beginning of any like new company or any just any new project, mm-hmm. you know, 
um, I think there's always, you know, there's the hope in the dream that like it's going to be whatever it is you're doing. It's going to be very popular mm -hmm. and people are going to want to use it, which that's what ne necessitates scale, right? So we could, maybe Twitter is like a good example of like, I think that was just like a Ruby app when they built it, like this, you know, a mm -hmm. pretty simple three-tier architecture Ruby app. And it's like, and I'm sure they hoped that it would go on to be this massive thing. And of course, they had so much success that like, you know, the fail whale, right, became yeah. super popular and you know, I, I think it's probably been rewritten like 17 times. Who knows, right? So, but, you know, I don't know if I would go back in time. Like if, you know, if you were sitting with those guys and say, mm -hmm. um, because you can spend, you know, this is kind of back to the agile, right? Like you can spend so much time getting the infrastructure correct, getting the process mm -hmm. set up and, and really be going down the wrong way that maybe it's okay. Like if we're super successful, then we'll, you know what? We'll just bite the bullet and rewrite everything. Yeah. So I definitely wholeheartedly agree that over-architecting something is uh, it's definitely a problem that some groups face, right? I mean, so the worst case was, I, so I worked with this one client, and uh, the first release um, that, that these teams had, they were so focused on, on architecture, and, and, I, and I, I couldn't convince them uh, otherwise, and so we, we just sort of saw how it worked it, out. Right? Yeah. They, they literally got to a week or two before they were supposed to, you know, be done with development and, and they were still working all on infrastructure. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so they had no, no, with nothing of value. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, they, they changed their thinking a little bit after that, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely trying to keep the, uh, the infrastructure to the minimum that, that you need it. Right. And then refactoring it over time. But the question is, what are the, what are the changes to the infrastructure that, the, or the, the approaches that you could take that if you, if you did it now, it's going to make it much cheaper in the future versus what are the things that it's really not that much of a difference if, if we make that switch now or later, right? But it's, it's, it's going to cost us more, you know, doing it now, right? Um, yeah, and I, well, listen, and I think there really are good arguments on both sides because, um, like, you know, everybody will say, like I just said it, right, in our fictional company, I said, well, listen, when we're successful, we'll have time and we'll just go back and... Uh, rewrite and fix everything. And, you know, we've been at numerous companies where we've said this kind of stuff and like, you know what, there's never time. There's never like, you know what we should do? Let's just take six months off. Let's just rewrite the whole thing. Let's add zero new functionality. And usually almost always when you do this, you actually go back in functionality because like something happened. Sure, sure. And, um, well, you don't even know what all the functionality is. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's the whole thing, right? Yeah. Th that's a very good point. Right. And then, um, and then you spend it. So, so there is this point of like, yeah, like, you know, there, and I think there's just like a human nature. It's like, hey, let's do it right the first time. I think anyone that works in software feels this way. Like, mm -hmm. like you're probably in software. There's some like personality trait that draws people in. They're like, no, we do it. We should do it right because it's going to save us a lot of time in the future. Um, but I don't know. I think it's I, so I think it's a hard question. There, there are some things that are probably just as expensive to do it e either way. Right. But this is going to put us in a better strategic position. Right. And there, there are other things that it'd be a lot more expensive to do this now. And in that case, I would be hesitant to do it and, and, and sort of put that off until it was more justified, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but you have that discussion and you, you think it through and you, you try to figure out uh, both what's going to make me quickest as, as far as getting stuff to market versus, you know, what's, what's going to cost me strategically, right? And, and try to make that balance, right? Agile is all about balance. I, I think traditionally, you know, it, it was assumed that just one half of that balance was important, right? So like... Um, planning versus, you know, changing, adjusting to things over time, right? There, there's sort of a spectrum a, a there, spectrum there right? right? And, and it, it's, it's, it's a balance, right? And, and, and 
this is just another case of that. You know, it's like short-term, you know, speed versus long-term strategy, and what's the right what's the right balance? What do we okay. want to do now? All right. So at our hypothetical startup, we're going to build some microservices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of assume everyone you're working with is deploying to the cloud, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the wrong assumption. Like when you're doing projects with people, like are they pretty much using cloud vendors? Which ones? Or are they doing stuff still on premise with private clouds? Like, are you what are you seeing out there? The ones that I've been working with, uh, primarily Amazon. Amazon, yeah. okay. And um, how's, how has your experience been with Amazon? Have you, have you done it? Have you used it? Do you sure, like it? Or is sure. it just, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I do like it. Uh, there's a lot of pieces to it. I certainly haven't touched all their pieces, right? Because they <laughs> no got one, a lot of things. No one has touched all <laughs> like, not even Not even the people on Amazon have touched no. everything. I mean, but, the, but the whole point of, of this exercise and the direction that we're moving, right, is we're starting to pull the developers away from the need to having to worry so much about that infrastructure, right? Um, so that they can sort of leverage, you know, that infrastructure without having to know a lot of the details about it. Um, by, by pulling things into microservices, we're starting to be able to leverage common approaches to, to scalability, fault mm-hmm. tolerance, et cetera, so that we can pull that out of the logic in the applications, right? And sort of yeah. get more leverage. And so, so we can really focus on the value add that we're really trying to add as opposed to that, that same thing that everybody else is doing just slightly different ways. Yeah. Well, on that, like, what do you see as far as in, in what's your take on this whole, you know, I think we had, I think when people say Amazon, most of the time, they're talking about infrastructure as a service, right? They've written some application, they're using the infrastructure as a service, mm-hmm. they're probably starting to grab, use some of their services as well, or other cloud vendor services too. And then, of course, there's Docker, and then, of course, there's Kubernetes, and mm-hmm. the containers, right? Have, um, and then the whole, you know, if you listen to software to find talk at all, you know, we talk endlessly about containers, we won't do it here, but um, are you seeing people, like, start to move to containers and move to a container orchestration, whether it be Kubernetes or something else, or is that still more aspirational than it is actual happening? Today? Uh, I mean, with the, with the clients that I've been working with, there's definitely move or move towards containers. I haven't, I haven't seen Kubernetes yet. Uh, the, 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 the orchestration, to, to, you know, so like one group, for example, is, is using Docker and then they're using, you know, Amazon, you know, container services mm-hmm. to, you know, sort of scale that. Um, to do it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Good. So, all right. Well, listen, we're, we're almost out of time, but where should people go to find you? And really, most importantly, to hire you to come in and fix. I, what I heard, you can fix every problem, everything. You can fix product market fit. You can fix emotional issues with teams, implement agile. Um, so you can do everything. It's, I think that's the way you should pitch it. You just say, like, I can do anything. So if, if that's what they're looking for and everyone's looking for that, where, where should they find you? Uh, so the, the best place to uh, find me is www.planigle.com. So that's P-L-A-N-I-G-L-E. Uh, I've, I've also got a blog at www.walterbodwell.com. Uh, has a lot of great stuff out there. I haven't been as active lately, but mm. a lot of good stuff there. Uh, we like to call that evergreen. That's evergreen content, right? Yeah. It's always good. Uh, it still it's, still makes a lot of sense. It was great absolutely. when I wrote it, but uh, still great now. Probably all the same. It's perfect. I'll, I'll, I'll probably come back to it. I'll probably come back to <laughs> That's it. That's right. Uh, and then uh, I'm I'm still very involved with Agile Austin. Um, uh-huh. It's a great organization. If you're in the in the Austin area, mm-hmm. www.agileaustin.org. Or if you'd like to come visit us in Austin, because it's a great place to visit. Uh, there's a conference on May 24th. Uh, Keep Austin Agile. Uh, so you can go to conference.agileaustin.org to find out more details on that. So what's an Agile, like what are happening at the Agile Austin meetings? Like what would, if I went to one, would I just hear people talk about what they're doing, like vendors? So like, it's, it's, how's it work? It's a crazy scale really, right? So th- one of the things that the organization did that, that really helped, uh, and, and Matt Roberts was uh, definitely instrumental in sort of 
really encouraging this was, was creating all sorts of special interest groups, right? So there's development special interest groups, QA, product management, Kanban, you know, there's like eight to 10 different special interest groups, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whatever your, your interest is, there's probably a special interest group that, that'll make sense for you. And so each of these are sort of like independent things. They, they all fall under the Agile Austin umbrella, but they each have leadership that is responsible for scheduling like a monthly meeting. And so there's, there's typically 10 to 15 meetings a month for Agile Austin on a wow. wide variety of topics wow. all over town. Um, some lunch meetings, some evening meetings, you know, so they're, they're all just, broken on, on these different interest groups. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there, there's a main monthly meeting, and then each of the interest groups typically has a, a, a monthly meeting, and then there's book clubs, there's uh, some course courses uh, throughout Austin, et cetera. So there, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Uh -huh. It's a very active community. One of the great things about it is that there, there are a lot of people willing to step up and take a leadership role, like if it's SIG, you know, et cetera. Um, there's also a lot of sponsors that are willing to give a space to host all these meetings as well as, you know, some funding to, to help, you know, for food and all that sort of stuff. So cool. Sounds like it's, it's pretty good. So, um, tell them again, where, what's the URL, where should someone go to, to learn more about it? Agile Austin is www.agileaustin.org. And okay. then the conference is conference.agileaustin.org. All right. And that, all of that will be in the show notes. So if you're like me and you can't really remember everything Walter says, just look in the show notes and we'll put it in there. Um, so a couple other questions for you. So are you still at some point, at one point, uh, I know you did quite a bit of like technical interviews, right? Mm -hmm. And are you still doing this? Uh, from time to time, it's, I was gonna say, what is in the, what is in the bag of tricks in the Walter Bodwell? Uh, cause I think I'm trying to remember both at Evity. It was, uh, it wasn't point of sale. Was it point of sale? There was like, there was like a standard, uh, interview question. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, so it, it, most of the stuff that I learned about interviewing, I learned from object space. Right. Okay. And that was, that was really the main reason that I went to object space was just their interview process was so it was good, good. Right. It was, I mean, good. It was, I was very, very challenging. Impressed. Well, we should talk about what it was, right. It was okay, like, sure. Yeah. Walk you through. Like, so you went into an object space interview. What happened? So they, they had a big focus on analysis and design, right? Mm -hmm. And so they, they would give you a problem, uh, you know, like maybe a point of sale terminal or uh, the, the, my, one of my favorites is adventure, right? Uh -huh. So like a adventure game, game, right? Yeah. And, and, and so they, they basically have you design that, right? So what would be your classes? You know, they, they give you some scenario and say, okay, show me how these classes would, instances of these classes would interact in order to solve the problem, mm -hmm. right? And it was something that you could do fairly quickly, even over a phone, mm -hmm. and you could get a really good feel for how, they, how people thought about right. this, right? We, we also did language interviews, right? And that would weed out you know, some people, but the A and D, that was the heart of it, right? Because right. you got a, a good Analysis feel for how Analysis and design, thought. that's right. Now, mm -hmm. the thing that I've learned since then that we weren't as good about then that I, I'm, I'm really trying to grow at is, is assess you know, personality, Right. right. And how, how is that person going to work with the group and, and, and add to the group dynamics and, and, and what kind of employer are they going to be? That's that's so it's, I feel much more confident in my ability to assess somebody's technical skills than I do that part. But that's where I'm really trying to grow now. Yeah, no, I think it's right. And I think Office Space definitely had I think it set a really good bar for technical interviews. And I do because um, I remember, you know, one point when we were there doing it, um, we actually had people like come in and like we would just put them in front of a computer for like an hour, maybe 34 minutes and just hand them um, a design and just like, Hey, implement this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, it was, I remember it's like, it was pretty telling. I think in retrospect though, cause I know a lot of times these are now done, they send it to people and let them do it at home. I think that's probably a better way to do it. Cause like doing it on, it just, cause again, they didn't, you don't, they didn't have their tool chain usually like their mm -hmm. editor. And then, um, you know, you don't really have to like, 
code under that level of like pressure and scrutiny. Uh, uh, so I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Is that still a good way to do it? So, so the implementation is definitely an important part of the interview, right? Because there, there are some people, most people that can, can talk the talk and, and do the design and all that sort of stuff can implement it as well. But there are some people... That, that can't, right? right. Like cram for the test like yeah, right before. Yeah, they, they, well, they, they, can, they can talk about the high-level stuff, but then when it comes to implementation, they're just not very good. Yeah, I think you're right. I guess as long as you overread into it, like, hey, they got through it, they built some stuff that ran and did something, but, it, you know, they were under a little pressure, so maybe not be their yeah, best. Yeah, my, my, my concern with giving it to them to do it at home, right, is you don't know if they've actually done yeah, it themselves, yeah, right? Yeah, did they but, cheat or something? Yeah. But I, th- I don't know. That is, I mean, I is guess it, people will do it. Yeah. It's just like, I don't, I don't know if you help yourself. Like, if you've cheated on a test to get yeah. a job, it's like it. I don't. I just don't think your work environment's going to be w- that good. What, I, what I'll typically do is I'll actually um, have them bring their computer in with them, right? Okay. So they have an environment that they're comfortable in, um, and, so, and that's not an issue, right? right? Give them, give them the you know some starter code, maybe. Mm-hmm. Do you right? give them a heads up that they're going to do it when they come in? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Give, give them some starter code, you know, sort of just to, to get them, you know, in the, the, the structure, so they don't have to worry about all that 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 stuff, mm-hmm. right? And then basically. Uh, have them change that that base to do some additional things, right? right. And and create some unit tests to, to validate that it's working, right? Um, if they get into trouble, so you, usually they're in they're in maybe a conference room or something like that, and and you, you might just give them their own space. But if if they get into trouble, you can always sh- have them share their screen up on, on on the big screen and sort of walk them through whatever them they're struggling it. with. Yeah, all right. So but try try to keep it low pressure. But you 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 I mean you're, you're just trying to get a feel for yeah yeah you're right you're just trying to like yeah. set the right and you can obviously set the right tone right you don't have to like make sure it's like because uh, I think that was always a good thing but then uh, I definitely remember towards the end of object space doing using the object space interview guide there were some I would call them trivia some impossible language questions in Java I was like no like there's like three people in the world that could answer this question and if you answered this question I don't think it was <laughs> it meant anything I don't so. Uh, so, I don't know. That was that was my my memory at the very very end of my uh, short lived uh, technical interviewing career. So I, I would say with those questions, you're really just trying to get a feel for if they are one of those like people that are really into the language, right? Uh-huh. I, I wouldn't disqualify you if you didn't answer them, right? It's, yeah. It's that that's just like just sort of seeing how far you go, right? Right. Um, I, although I can say that the shortest interview I ever did was uh, I think it was three maybe maybe two maybe three questions um and i started off with the java stuff and i started really simple just strings and stuff like that and uh-huh. you know the first one they didn't know the second one they didn't you know they were like yeah i, I, I don't know and the third one you know I, I don't think this is the right interview for me <laughs> okay well that's good well that's always good too when people self-identify and so that's that's why i usually start off with language right because most people can do it it's something to get them feel comfortable yeah. you know and that they're, they're doing and a well lot of people on. like it like yeah. they can like it's it it's, it is like sometimes trivia is fun, right? You just answer, oh, like I know that answer, I know that answer. But, but those people yeah. that really just have no business being in the interview, you can typically cut it short for them and you. Yeah, right? that's true. All right, well, good. Well, those interviewing tips uh, by Walter Bob. All right, Walter, final question, and then I'll let you get out of here. Um, I like to ask everyone, what is uh, something you know that you wish uh, everybody else should know? And for the record, mm-hmm. I did give you a heads up that this question was coming, which I don't like to do, but I did. So you did. Ahead. That was that was very nice of you. I, although I, I came up with it pretty quick, so I might have come up with it if, if you All hadn't. Right, but fair enough. We'll, we'll see. So what, here's what I came up with. So I, I'm uh, I'm big into exercise, right? Uh, so I've, I've I've run a few marathons. I, I do weights. For a while, I was doing kung fu, and my kung fu uh, master had a saying that that he liked. If something hurts, you know, you should do that more often, right? 
Okay. Sort of a counterintuitive thing, right? right? And and I think that that applies to software as well, right? So you know, figuring out what to build if that hurts, that's something you should do more often. You should do it, you know, more more frequently. Just constantly sort of reassess how, how to and 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 get good at, at at that problem, right? If if it's if it's hard to deploy to production, if that's error prone and, and you know et cetera, then you should get good at that as well. Do do it, you know, more and more do often, more. right? Okay. So the things that hurt you. That might be a sign that, that you need to, to do it more often. More. Now, there are some things that, you know, you, you just can avoid, right? But, right? but these things you can't, right? Uh-huh. And so maybe more rather than less is the answer. I like that. I like that. Well, that's sort of you know, a very, uh, I think, a very DevOps, uh, what is it, chaos monkey kind of thing. It's like, hey, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of the chaos monkey. We need to embrace the chaos monkey, right? So we're ready. All right. Well, I like it. Well, um, it's about to say, like, I will try to do thing, more things that hurt, uh, next week. I don't know how successful I will be at that, but because uh, I, I like to take the easy path, I think. so. But with that, um, Walter, thanks for coming on the show. Make sure to visit Walter's website at uh, planagle.com and uh, you know, email him. And if you do, make sure you tell him that his friends at uh, Software Defined Talk sent him. And again, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe to our other podcast, Software Defined Talk. Um, you can go to www.softwaredefinedtalk where you'll find a place to sign up for the Slack group. You can buy a t-shirt. If you put in the code SDTFSG, you'll get 20% off. And if you don't want to spend money but you still want stuff, you can email me at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and I will send you a fine-looking Software Defined Talk uh, sticker for your laptop. And with that, we will talk to you later.